For the last few years now, I've been dealing with some pain in my right side. And uh, the first time I remember it starting, I was on a flight to India in 2015. So I thought, oh, it's probably just from sitting in that seat for 18 hours, and uh, it'll go away. It kind of went away, but it came back on the flight home, and Never really went away, kind of just always stuck around, and it would, it just kept creeping up. It was just like this dull ache, and I couldn't figure out what it was. I went to the doctor, checked around for different things, and couldn't find anything. Um, year goes by, I go back for another physical, same thing, check, can't find anything, don't, don't really know what's going on. Um, and it just continued that way. But the only thing I could put my finger on, you know, in terms of what really caused it to, to flare up is I started to realize it seemed to have been associated with stress. And the more stress I had in my life, uh, the more intense that pain was. Last spring, early summer, it got to the point where um, I wasn't sleeping. Uh, it, was, it was hard to walk. Hannah could tell you up and down stairs in our house. And went back to the, she's like, you go back to the doctor. So I go back. And uh, they check, and nothing. So he sends me to a specialist, and a couple specialists, actually. And uh, they, they run through things. So first, uh, to a urologist, nothing. Everything seems normal. Um, did an ultrasound. Uh, everything was normal. Uh, sent me to a surgeon, then to check. Can't find anything, Josh. I don't know what's going on. Um, but I'll tell you what, let's do a CT scan to just rule everything out. This was in August. So I uh, leave for vacation, come back uh, in early August, go in for the, the CT scan, and I, had, I must have looked really nervous. I'd never had an IV before. Because you get a, a CT scan, you know, you drink the stuff, so you light up on the screen, and then you get the stuff, you know, put into your veins so that you'll other your circulation of your uh, vascular system all lights up too on there. And I must have looked really nervous when they were putting my IV in because multiple times, are you okay? Do you feel like you're going to fall down? Like, no, I'm, I'm all right. But I must have looked really nervous and anxious. And so uh, he said, uh, we'll do the CT scan. I don't think there's anything, but we just want to rule everything out. And so I go in, I do the CT scan, and... Um, get done, and they're like, all right, you're done, and you'll hear something back from the doctor in, uh, you know, a couple days, and um, you're free to go. All right, so I leave. I come home. We had a meeting here at the church that night on the building stuff. was just starting to, getting ready to get some things ramped up to start construction, and um, I, I left. I was driving home probably 6, 6.30, and happened to notice uh, a notification on my phone that I missed a voicemail. I missed a phone call. The phone call had come uh, about an hour and a half after I had been in for the CT scan, and it was the doctor. It was the surgeon. Now, uh, I was told a couple days. I was a little anxious anyway, like they're going to find something. It'd been, it's been going on for a couple years. and um, So I thought, oh boy, if they're calling back within an hour and a half, this is not good. So uh, as I'm driving home, I listened to the voicemail, and I thought maybe uh, I'd play that for you. Here's the voicemail that I got. Hi, Joshua. This is 
calling you back about the CT scan. Um, please call us back tomorrow. Um, we should be in the office in the afternoon. Uh, uh, either myself or we can talk to you about uh, what, uh, what, what came up on the CAT scan and go over um, what are our options. Bye-bye. Um, options? Did he say options? I had to listen to it again. Options to me sounded like, uh, sounded like chemo to me. It sounded like pain, and it sounded like you're still going to die. Or just enjoy the time you have left and then die. Hey, have you, have you ever had a phone call like that? Some of you have. Some of you have had a lot worse than that. Some of you will. Many of you will have phone calls like that one day. It shook me to my core. I got home. I played it for Hannah. She was giving Charlie a bath. And our reaction, um, it was about 6.30 p.m. at this point, so we called back to the office. Couldn't get a hold of anybody. Called the hospital. Tried to get through. Hey, can I talk to somebody? Um, a little anxious. No, sorry, nobody's going to be there until the morning. So that night, I'm, uh, maybe if you've had phone calls like that, you've been like me. That night, uh, laying in bed, I couldn't really sleep. You know, both of us kind of assumed the worst. So it's cancer. It's probably everywhere. Everyone's missed it for years. Is it colon cancer, kidneys, liver, prostate? I mean, it, I'm telling you, it was doom and gloom in our home for those 24 hours. You know, it probably started as one of those, but now it's, I'm sure it's everywhere. Do I have weeks to live, months? What's, what's options? Hannah's going to be alone. Charlie's going to grow up without a dad. I remember pulling my phone out, checking uh, my retirement. Okay, that'll last him about a year. <laughs> <laughs> then looking, okay, is my life insurance? Okay, life insurance. Hannah will only have to work part-time until Charlie's in about second grade. Um, <laughs> And of course, I'm a pastor, so there's going to be 400 people watching me suffer. So I can't maybe always say what I'm thinking or feeling. All those things go through my mind. So the next morning, I call, and um, oh, yeah, sorry, uh, the doctor isn't going to be in until about 1 o'clock today. Really? Um, can anybody look at my, you know, tell me what is going on? And uh, nobody could. No, I'm sorry, uh, the two that have access to that, they're not here. So finally, at 1.30, I call, awesome, I got through, here we go, I said, uh, talk to a, a nurse practitioner who helps there, and she said, well, looking at the CT scan, and there was like this pause, I'm like, okay, here it comes. She said, everything looks good. <laughs> I said, What? She said, yeah, everything looks, looks good. I said, so, I mean, we went through every organ, like in my abdomen. My colon, okay, prostate, yeah, it's okay. Your gallbladder, yeah, it's all right. Uh, my liver, yeah, it's, it looks good. Um, kidneys, yeah, no, every, I'm telling you, everything looks great. I'm like, okay, well, he left me a voicemail. I was a little anxious that said, uh, call back about discussing options. She goes, oh, well, there's... A small hernia on the other side that if you want to repair, it's tiny. You don't really need to do anything about it unless we don't think that's where the pain's coming from. But if you want to do something, yeah, you have the option to do that. 
thanks. <laughs> so I called Hannah, and this is what I told her on the phone. It's not a tuma, <laughs> right, when she picked up the phone. But I'm telling you, and still don't know what's going on, still trying to figure it out. You can pray. Um, it, it ebbs and flows. It comes and goes with stress. But when stress is high, it's brutal. So uh, maybe, maybe you're a specialist, and you're visiting today, and you can tell me what's going on with my body. I don't know. But those 24 hours were some of the most sobering, I think, in my life, just two months ago. And I'd already planned to teach on Ecclesiastes, a series called Life is Short. I'd worked on that in July. But it never felt shorter. It never felt emptier. It never felt more hopeless. Some of you have been there. Maybe you're there today. Death never smelled so close. And the reality of what I believe never felt more urgent to be sure of. This morning, we're going to start a new series. Uh, and we're going to look at just how short life is. We spent the last month kind of turning our, our gaze vertical, right? And turning our eyes on Jesus and getting our eyes off the horizontal. But now we're going to circle back around and we're going to kind of look at the horizontal and see just how fleeting all of those things are, how fast it goes. We won't study the entire book of Ecclesiastes, but we're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll work through a different passages, and we're going to gain some wisdom from the wisest man who ever lived, other than Jesus, King Solomon. So we're going to do that. We're going to get wisdom on how to live in light of how short life is and in light of how great God is. And uh, before we do that, though, would you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him. Thanks for your goodness to us. Um, Lord, life is short. As we'll see this morning, Jesus, your little brother James, wrote, uh, it's like a vapor. It's fleeting. It's here today and gone tomorrow. And um, help us to live with that in mind, recognizing that uh, this life is painful and is hard, and even as we'll see this morning, as meaningless as it can sometimes be lived apart from you, is not the end. Help us turn our gaze away from here and now to understanding that there's more to live for. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd uh, use me and teach through me even teach me as I teach, and uh, let us grow, Jesus, to know you more today. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So Ecclesiastes, it is one of the most peculiar and difficult books in all of the Bible to understand. Have you ever tried to read Ecclesiastes? Some of you are like, I haven't even tried to pronounce Ecclesiastes. What do you mean, read it? Well, the, the title, Ecclesiastes, is actually a, a, a transliteration of the Greek and Latin word for, uh, the, in the first line, the teacher or the preacher, the koheleth. It just means preacher or teacher. Solomon, in his wisdom, is going to teach us some things. And uh, this is a book, though, it just doesn't seem to fit because, with the rest of the Bible because over and over and over, it talks about how and seems to say that life is meaningless, that it's purposeless, 
that it's vanity of all vanities. Some have said, some commentators have said that Ecclesiastes is basically a wild goose chase without a goose. It's like he just keeps circling around this whole idea like uh, life is meaningless. It's a waste of time. It's worthless. It's purposeless. And all of these things. Well, uh, Solomon writes this. And Solomon, I mentioned, is one of the wisest men uh, to ever live, second only to Jesus Christ. In fact, Solomon, at the beginning of his, uh, of, uh, his reign as king, God gives him uh, a choice, and it's almost kind of like he gives them a wish. You know, like you rub the genie and get a wish. It's not like that, but it's kind of like that. Where, where God asks Solomon, he says, you can, you can choose anything you want. You know, ask of me anything. And Solomon uh, thinks about it, and he asks for wisdom. Well, God is pleased with this, and so he gives Solomon incredible, incredible wisdom, and he gives him much more beyond that, incredible wealth, and all, all kinds of things are Solomon's. He reigns in a time of Israel where its borders have never been as big as they were under the reign of Solomon. Uh, there's never, it was a 40-year reign of peace for Solomon. He, he, people from all over the known world would come to him, kings and queens and rulers, to get his wisdom. And he had more wealth, uh, like if you would equate his wealth today, um, Bill Gates... And uh, Jeff Bezos and all those guys combined would not reach Solomon's net worth. He, he had everything. And Solomon writes in what's known as the wisdom tradition or the books of wisdom in the Old Testament. So there's, there's a handful of books in the middle of the Old Testament uh, that are books of wisdom. For instance, there's uh, Job, and it deals with the problem of evil and suffering. And why do the righteous suffer? And the book of Job deals with that and how to deal with suffering. And then Solomon uh, writes uh, a handful of books. He writes a Song of Songs, which deals with beauty and love and marriage. And I think Solomon, see Solomon, his reign, he started off really well. And I think Song of Songs was probably written early in his life where he met a woman, fell in love, and wrote this incredible love story about her that you have in your Bible. And then there's also the Proverbs, which Solomon wrote many of. And I think throughout his life, he collects all of these sayings and these Proverbs. And he writes many of them as well and edits them together into the book of Proverbs. And then the other book of wisdom in the Old Testament is the one we're going to study in part, Ecclesiastes. And I think Ecclesiastes comes at the end of Solomon's life. And at the end of Solomon's life, He's gone from uh, following the Lord and being faithful to uh, grave error. And now I believe when he gets to Ecclesiastes that he's kind of like the prodigal son, that he's repented and turned back and now he's reflecting on his life. See, Solomon, it it tells us uh, in the Old Testament that his heart was turned away from God by all of uh, his foreign wives, the women that he married. He had seven hundred wives, 300 concubines, a thousand women. He sought, we're going to see it in Ecclesiastes, he just sought pleasure in every imaginable thing. 
He had uh, all the wealth you could ever imagine. He uh, slept with a different woman every night. He had everything he could possibly want, trying to fill his life, fill that void with something. And in the end, you know what he writes? It's meaningless. It's meaningless. It leaves you empty. The wisest man to ever live writes that, and that's what we're going to be studying So as difficult as Ecclesiastes can be, because it is a difficult book, uh, one thing that I think is helpful is to read it in uh, the New Living Translation. So for this series, I'm going to preach from the New Living Translation. Now, if you have a different translation, you have ESV or NIV or whatever you have, that's great. Uh, If you're wondering what's the best translation, it's the one you will read. That's the best translation, (laughs) right? Whatever one you're going to read, that's the one. That's the one you need to get and read it. So uh, here's the first thing we see, though. Solomon tells us that life is meaningless. See, look at verse 1. He says, these are the words of the teacher. There's debate on whether Solomon wrote this, but I think it's pretty clear he did. The teacher, King David's son, that's Solomon, uh, who ruled in Jerusalem, that's Solomon. Furthermore, you see all kinds of wisdom come from the writer's mouth. Well, Solomon had great wisdom. Uh, as you get further into the book, you realize that the writer of this book had unbelievable wealth and riches. Well, that's clearly Solomon. So this is Solomon writing. And he tells us that life is meaningless. Look at verse 2. Everything, he says, is meaningless. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. After reflecting on life, of all the pleasures that he sought, of all the ways he tried to fulfill himself, he says, everything is meaningless. Everything, Solomon, really? Everything. Yeah, but, I mean, completely meaningless, really? Look at what's the text say. Oh, yeah, completely meaningless, he writes. Your translation, that word uh, meaningless in Hebrew is the Hebrew word habel. And it's a complicated word. It carries all kinds of different nuanced meanings. It can mean meaningless like it does here in the New Living Translation. If you have the ESV or NAS or KJV, you're reading vanity. And maybe that's how you heard it and learned it growing up. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. It's the same word, meaningless. Uh, The Christian Standard Bible uses the word futile. Everything is utterly futile, life is. Other translations say absolutely pointless. In addition to all those, this word can mean empty or worthless or fleeting, a breath, a vapor. Everything, Solomon says, is meaningless. He's reflecting on life, and fittingly, he uses a pretty complicated word to describe life. Because life is pretty complicated, would you agree? I mean, how many of you, if you were to chart out what life looks like and all the different details and how it goes, would have it even close to right? No, it's complicated. It's messy. And this word he uses is really fitting then. And so Solomon here is a teacher. He's the teacher or the preacher. That's the title of the book, really. Uh, Think about this. He's the wisest man who ever lived other than Jesus, who Jesus himself said that in in Matthew. Uh, Solomon says that after spending some time contemplating life, he's come to the conclusion that all of it is just pointless. It's fleeting. It's a waste. 
I wonder if Jesus' little brother James didn't have this verse in mind when he penned these words. Uh, what is your life? Maybe he did his devos in uh, Ecclesiastes 1 that morning when he wrote his letter. And he said, your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, and then it's gone. You're like, wow, what a cheerful message, Josh. <laughs> Boy, I just feel so good now compared to how I walked in the door. I kind of felt all these things before walking in, and now you're telling me that I felt all those things correctly, right? Well, what Solomon's saying here is life is short. It's fleeting. Some of you who are young, and you're scattered throughout the room. By the way, in the Bible, young is basically under 40. Then once somebody hits 40, they're either old or they're just a person. That's kind of how the Bible works. Um, so under 40 is young. Um, you're young, and I would say to you, life is short. And you're like, yeah, I know it's short, but you know what? I've got a lot of time left. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. Let me tell you, it's short. It's fleeting. It's like the morning fog. It's here today, and it's gone tomorrow. It goes so fast. Every year faster than the one before. And some of you who are older than me are going, Josh, you have no idea even what you're talking about in terms of how fast life goes. Am I right? It goes so fast. And it just keeps going. Solomon tells us life is meaningless. He's saying it goes fast. To quote another great philosopher, the great Ferris Bueller, life moves pretty fast. <laughs> and if you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. It's a funny quote, but it's really true. And I think it goes right in line with what Solomon's telling us. That life lived simply, he's going to tell us, under the sun is meaningless. And it goes fast, and before you know it, it will be over. It will. In fact, he goes on to make his point, and in verses 3 through 11, he just builds on this, and he gets, oh, even, even more cheerful than we began. Are you ready? He, he says, here's how I wrote it down to summarize it, life is meaningless, it's a wearisome treadmill of futility. Like, wow, that's a lot, those are some... Upbeat words, right? But look at what he writes. Remember, this is a guy who's wiser than any one of us in this room. Second only to Jesus. He says, think about it. You know, what do people get for all of their hard work under the sun? That phrase, by the way, under the sun, shows up about 30 times. Depending on your translation, not quite 30 throughout the book. But just keep that in mind as we keep going. What do people get for all their work under the sun? It's kind of this rhetorical question, isn't it? It's kind of implied, well, what, like at the end of the day, really, what do you benefit? You get up, you go to work, you come home, you go through your routine, you go to bed. The next day, what do you do? You get up, you go to work, you come home, you go through your routine, you go to bed. You, the next morning, what happens? The alarm goes off, time to make the donuts. And you get up and you go do it and you come home, right? He's like, it's, it's just a treadmill. It goes on and on under the sun. There's, what do people get for their hard work? 
Nothing. You know what you get for your hard work? You get to do it again. That's what you get. And he keeps going. Look at the treadmill he mentions. Generations come. And then generations go. But you know what? The earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets. Then it hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south. But then it turns north. Around and around it goes. It's just blowing in circles. He's just like, guys, you're just on a treadmill. It's just futile. It's meaningless. It's just the same thing. Have you felt that? Anybody feel that ever? Yeah. Like every hand, your your hand, like I know, like in your heart, you're like, you're raising your hand. You're just scared to put it up. But it's true, isn't it? Like it just feels like, what's the point? It's just the same stuff over and over every day. That was what Solomon said too. And he just gives examples. He's like, rivers run into the sea, verse 7. But the sea is never full. Then the water returns again. How does there keep coming water? into? It's, just, it's a treadmill. It keeps going. It never ends. The water returns again to the rivers and it flows out again to the sea. Never fills up. I don't get it. It's the same thing over and over. Everything, he says, is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. Now, this line is profound from this man. Because when you consider the the wealth that he had, the possessions that he had, the wisdom that he had. I mean, think about it in your life. You ever wished for some different things, for things to be different? You know, if I, if I only had a little bit more power, like to, to change something, maybe that's at home or at work or, or whatever arena of your life. If I just had more power to change things, then it would be all right, right? Solomon was king. And not only was he king, he had incredible power. Every other king was coming to him for wisdom. He had all the power that he could want on this earth. You're like, okay, but if I, uh, if I just had a little bit more wealth, a little more money, you know, maybe um, just to, I don't know, have a, have a little bit of more, a little bit of more, have a little more fun money. Well, Solomon had that. He had more wealth than, we already mentioned this, than you could ever imagine. Okay, well then maybe if I had a different home, or a nicer home, or a new car, or better stuff. Solomon had, I mean, he he built the temple, which was incredibly opulent. Hundreds of billions of dollars in gold is what it would have cost to build today, according to how it was built in the Old Testament. If you thought our building project was expensive, look at Solomon's temple. But guess what? The temple paled in comparison to his palace. It was incredible. And then he had storehouses for all of his stuff. On top of that, like, okay, well, I don't know, though, but, you know, maybe there's uh, certain experiences or pleasures I want that I desire. If I only had that, then I'd be fulfilled. I told you already, Solomon had a, I mean, just as one example, Solomon had a different woman every single night. 
He could have had breakfast, lunch, and dinner with a different woman every day, all year long, and not repeated it. He had everything you could ever desire or that any of us in this room ever desire on this earth. He had it. And at the end, he says, everything is wearisome. In fact, no matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. You know, what, you know who he's, what he's saying there when he says we? He's talking about himself. He's saying, no matter how much I see, I'm never satisfied. Later, uh, he'll say that I sought pleasure. No matter how much I hear, I'm, I'm not content. We're not content. In fact, history merely repeats itself. It's all been done before. There's nothing new under the sun. In other words, on this earth, in this life, some people say, well, here's something new. But actually, it's old. Nothing is ever truly new. How many of you, you'll talk about this in your 110 this week and kind of one of the first questions, you can remember like what the styles were when you were in junior high. You remember? Okay. And how many times have those come back in style? Like maybe the same style, maybe different colors, but I could probably get away with that today again if I could fit into it, right? <laughs> it, nothing's really new. Like here comes something new. Oh, you know, when you're... I think Jesus chose his disciples when they were young, in their late teens, early 20s, because at that age, we don't understand the, really the brevity of life. And to those of you who are young, this isn't a slam on you. This is just reality. You'll, you'll see it one day. Um, but you come in, you're altruistic, you know, um, you're, you're fired up about life. It's, I'm going to change the world. I'm, I'm going to fix this cause, right? Anybody, you've been there? It's something new. I'm going to be able to accomplish it. Solomon says, no, nothing's ever really new. It's the same thing. You know what? We don't even remember what happened in the past. And in future generations, no one will remember what we're doing now. Solomon needs some counseling, doesn't he? <laughs> Actually, Solomon's got it. He says, life is meaningless. It's a treadmill of futility, a wearisome treadmill of futility. Now, but that phrase I told you about earlier that shows up 30, some, almost 30 times, that's the key phrase, under the sun. Under the sun, on this earth. See, if, if there's an under the sun, what else is there? An over the sun. There, there's something else above this earth. There's something more than this life. And the reality is that just this life by itself, it is. It's, a, it's futile. It's a wearisome treadmill of futility, but not if your hope is in Jesus Christ. In other words, apart from God, it's futile. 
some of you walked in this morning and you've been feeling this in your heart and in your spirit. You felt this, this exact thing that you saw on the screen, Solomon's words, that you heard me read to you, that you maybe read yourself, that, that life is meaningless, it's futile, it's a waste, it's, it's just so wearisome. I just, it's the same thing over and over. And you, do you know why you're feeling that? Because apart from God, that's exactly true. Apart from hope in Jesus Christ, that's exactly true. See, some people will say, all I need in life is, you know, I just need food and clothing and shelter and I can be content. You know, there's one more thing you need. You need hope. You need hope. Because apart from hope, what do you have? You're just under the sun. And under the sun, life is futile and meaningless. Apart from hope, you'll never make it. You, you could try to plug in some kind of purpose. You could plug in uh, some kind of value. Uh, but, but you need hope in Jesus Christ to give you that purpose, to give you that value. You need God to live. In fact, you were, it's hardwired into who you are. You were created needing God. Some have said, you know, it's like this, there's this hole in your heart and it's God-shaped and the only thing that fits in it is him. The only thing that fulfills is Jesus Christ. And Solomon's reflecting on his life now and he's saying, I'm telling you, Think about this, because Solomon, uh, in his younger days, experienced God's glory. His, his eyes were vertical in a big way. He, he offered a sacrifice at the dedication of the temple. He saw fire come down and consume the sacrifice before his face. It's more than I've seen. How about you? And yet, uh, his wife, er, his life and his heart gets... Uh, tugged away by all of his wives after foreign gods. And he goes from uh, somebody who's passionately seeking God to uh, an adulterer, to an idolater. Some have even argued to, to a murderer. See, he, he ends up building high places for these false gods, places of worship. And some of these false religions and these pagan and demonic gods, they actually practice child sacrifice. Was Solomon a part of that? I don't know. He had everything, friends, under the sun. And at the end, he looks back and he's like, everything under the sun, it's meaningless. Friends, don't go down that road. It's meaningless. It's like he's writing to the next generation and to us saying, learn from my stupidity. In fact, that's how he concludes his book. We'll get there. He says, here now is my final conclusion, the end of Ecclesiastes. Fear God, obey his commands. This is everyone's duty. Psalm 16, uh, Solomon's dad, David, wrote this. I'm just going to read it to you. But think about this in terms of hope and needing hope beyond this Life under the sun. He says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. 
As for the saints in the land, they're the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God, their sorrows will just multiply. But verse five, the Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. It's, it's hope of what's coming, isn't it? Verse eight, I have the Lord always before me. Therefore, my heart is glad because God's before him all the time. Then his heart's glad. If Solomon had just listened to his dad, that's what makes my heart glad is having the Lord before me all the time. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. In fact, he says in, concludes in verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. And in your presence, hear this, there is fullness of joy. Not fleeting joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore, unending. Friends, um, life is short. And life under the sun, lived apart from God, is meaningless. Heed Solomon's wisdom here. Put your hope in Jesus Christ. Fear God and obey his commands, Solomon says. This is everyone's duty. You're like, okay, I'm going to do that this week. I'm going to obey God's commands. I'm going I'm to just pull myself up by the bootstraps. I'm going to get my life together like this week. I'm going to do it. Okay. Um, where are you going to start? How are you going to do that? Start thinking about it, all the things that you have to get right now. How are you possibly going to do that? You're going to give up before you get home. But here's the good news. Jesus, in John chapter 6, Uh, Jesus had been teaching. He had uh, uh, provided bread for people. And in verse 22, it says, The next day the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into boats. And they went across to Capernaum to look for him. See, Jesus has fed uh, thousands and people are looking for him and they chase him across the sea, the Lake of Galilee, and they, they, they find him on the other side and they ask him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus replied, like he always does, just kind of cuts right to the chase. He says, you know what, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you understood the miraculous signs that like, I'm the thing that you need, not just bread, but you need me. He said, uh, so he tells him, he says, don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you, for God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. And they replied, okay, so they hear this. Jesus tells them, uh, spend your energy seeking eternal life. Do the works that, uh, that would please God. And so they ask him right away. They go, okay. We want to perform God's works too. What should we do? What should we do? Remember Solomon had just told us, he commends to us to obey God's commands, fear him and obey his commands. Here, Jesus, here's what Jesus says God's command is. 
Jesus told them, John 6, 29, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one whom he has sent. Friends, your only hope is in Jesus Christ. Your only hope is to believe in him. And after you believe in him and become a follower of his, his Holy Spirit changes you. Religion tells you that you've got to change yourself and get it all right so that you can somehow come to and be loved by Jesus. No, no, the gospel is Jesus loves you in the mess that you're in. He died on the cross for you, and if you would simply believe the one whom God has sent, you will be saved and made new. Amen? Friends, life under the sun is meaningless. It's a wearisome treadmill of futility, but not if your hope is in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him. Uh, Jesus, life is short. Uh, Your life, even on this earth, was short. 34 years. Uh, Yet you are eternal, you're God, and you call us to look to you, to... uh, not uh, find our value and our dignity and our purpose and our worth and all of those things under the sun, but Jesus, to find them in you. Solomon chased after all of those things. And his heart was left empty and wretched. Jesus, some of us have experienced those same things and Just like you do and did to Solomon, you do to us. You offer us the opportunity to simply turn to you, believe in you, and be made new. To know that we're loved and valued and treasured by you. That's where our hope is. Jesus, we love you. And as we close this morning, we sing these things to you. Amen.